0: This podcast serves as a platform to elevate Black voices in education, voices that are often absent and need to be heard. As we address issues of race, class, and culture within education and beyond, this podcast will offer support, resources, and a platform for Black educators. Tune in to hear more as we champion equity, chase excellence, and persist with a purpose. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the co-host and do not reflect the official policy or position of any school network or district. It is 1984. All right, you are listening to Educators Are Superhuman, a podcast for educators by educators. My name is Jeff Love, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Toba Charles, Stephen Monson, and John Edwards. How y'all doing this evening? Doing great. You see glad
1: to Good. be here. Yeah, what's
0: up, Jeff? What's up, everybody? Glad we, were, glad we were able to get together and get this done, y'all. Finally. So let's get into it. Why don't I have each of you say a few words about yourself, introduce yourself uh, to our listeners? Uh, why don't we start with Toba, please?
1: Well, I am Toba Charles. I am a six year educator. I'm the baby educator of the group. Uh, I am in secondary literacy and I am from Texas.
2: Good afternoon, everybody. I'm going to throw a middle name in there. I'm uh, Stephen McKinley Monson. I've been in education 17 years. Uh, primarily higher education, and in the last seven years, uh, secondary humanities, uh, specifically history. Uh, And I'll pass it over to my man, John Edwards.
3: Thank you, Stephen. I am John Edwards. I've been in education 12 years now. Um, I was a former school administrator, uh, taught secondary history and writing and primary writing.
0: Uh, And I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Pass it over to you, Jeff. Thank you, John. Uh, again, I'm Jeff Love. Uh, this is my 12th year in education. I'm sorry, Jeff Love, AKA Jay Allen Love for those who knew me back when. Uh, this is my 12th year in education. Uh, got my start in as an administrator uh, in secondary schools. Uh, moved from there to higher ed. Uh, spent a little time with a private education company and now I am teaching in middle school. All right, y'all, that said, let's uh, move on That was on beautiful, that. Jeff. That was- oh, thank you. That was wonderful. Thank
1: you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> COVID don't make me blush. Come
1: I on. just want to sit and encourage me, you know what I'm talking about? Because that was great. <laughs> he did a great job.
0: Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, so every installment of our show, we're going to have a, a few uh, segments that are going to be mainstays. Um, our current events in education, uh, we have a, a segment called email, which is educator mail and our on the ground segment. Um, So today we're gonna lead off with our current events in education segment. And we wanted to discuss, uh, one of our colleagues caught wind of a Twitter thread that was going around. And it was discussing the intersection between wokeness and our jobs, what we're charged to do as educators. Um, so we thought it'd be good to unpack that conversation for our, our first installment of the show. Um, so I'm gonna just drop that right there. Let's talk about it.
1: Start I off heavy. Yeah. That's
0: great. <laughs> I see, I see, I see the, the the taking that breath in. Toba's about to unleash.
1: Go ahead, okay. So I'm not. I've, I I've been in. Uh, like I said, I've been in education. I'm the baby educator in the in the group. Uh, when you're less than a decade it's it's, it goes by baby steps so I think that like especially working you know I don't work in a public school I work I've only my only experience in education has been through charter schools and so I think that mine might be a little skewed because I think that charter schools put on the facade sometimes of like we are here to help all the black and brown children we are we are about that social work or social justice life. And then when you get into like the nitty gritty, it's like very, it's very disenchanting at, at, at some points because you're just like, ah, it's the same beast. It just looks differently. And so you have to like combat it differently. So um, that's like my experience that is trying to navigate still through spaces of whiteness when it's supposed to be centered and focused on black and brown children and trying to make sure that their voices get heard. And also I can keep my integrity of like, I know what I'm doing. Like the, only, not, the reason why I'm not here, the reason why I'm here is not just to uh, be the black voice <laughs> in the room. Like I have a degree in, in English literature. Like I, I know what I'm doing here in this space with literacy, right? So just making sure that like, I'm also seen as an educator and not just like the Black Panther in the room. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, it's a delicate balance. I like how you put that, the, the Black Panther in the room.
0: Uh, how, well, How does, I mean, I, a lot of the, um, and I, I read some of the Twitter thread and a lot of the, uh, well, there was one person who had a lot to say and, and a lot of comments to, to make, all of which were valid. Um, but the, the thrust of it was that people um, hide behind wokeness because of a lack of, of skill with respect to pedagogy, um, Anybody have any, any, any thoughts on that?
2: I'm glad you brought that. I guess this is a great segue for me to jump in. Um, so let's even break down the term woke, Jeff, right? Like it, it's, it's a term that we that became normal during the 60s during the black power movement, right? I don't know if everybody knew this or not, it just made its way into the Oxford uh, English Dictionary as of 2017, right? And it implies, yeah, and it implies that no, no, you know no. you're a social justice advocate, um, you know you're addressing you know contemporary political concerns, right? So when you think of pedagogy, it's it's right, like your mindset, right? Like what what lens are you working or operating through um, as you attack some of these, I guess, obstacles, or, or or you live in this world of being woke. I think the the first thing we have to do is. Uh, you know, all ground ourselves in what that means and ground ourselves in a commitment to address some of the issues that we that we talk about, that we see in media, that sometimes as educators we discuss in, in teacher lounges, um, but it has to move from a place, right? Because the word social justice advocate is in there, not someone who's a social justice uh, conversator, right? Or someone who just engages in the discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for all of those who love James Baldwin, he has an episode on soul uh, where he talks about, you know, a responsibility that you have when you, you know, lace your pants up, um, or I don't want to say lace your pants up because women don't always lace their pants up, but when you sign up to do this work, right? Let me correct myself. When you sign up to do this work, yeah. Or right, or men.
1: Absolutely, men thank you, Toby.
2: Um, you know, you have to be woke within yourself. And I think that's why we all don't operate with the same pedagogy or mindset. Uh, because we have to be woke within ourselves and there's so many different layers to why we're not, right? So I don't know if we want to open up that Pandora's box, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Boy, so one of the layers is your your own implicit biases, right? We've heard this tagline um, and we think it's always, you know, for the others or the other races, but we have to check some of ourselves, you know, me being, you know, fortunate there's a book out, the uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed um, by, uh, I forget. Thank you. Thank you, love you, that's why you are the host. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Right. And he talks about these different, uh, I wish I could read it and bring it into the space, but how even in lower income communities or more urban communities, right? There's this, you know, back to the word pedagogy, or there's different layers to what that socioeconomic status looks like, right? So you can be, and I don't wanna butcher the term he used, but he basically says within these communities, you have different, I'll say, uh, levels of wokeness, right? You have the informed person Who's living in inner city communities? They know who they are. They know the systematic oppression that they're facing, right? You have other people who are just going through the motions. Don't really get that's maybe some of the terms or how we show up in certain uh, places are manifesting some of the stereotypes that we have to address. But that's it. You got me unpacking a lot, uh, John, and I don't want to. I don't want to open up a box and start talking for five <laughs> minutes straight. Uh, if somebody else can tap in, but essentially. You know, we have to look deep within ourselves, have some of the tough conversations. We all have been on the conversations prior where we talk about even the dynamics of the Black of the black family, right? The Black relationship, right? These mm-hmm. are some of the questions. These are some of the struggles. Mental, right? Mental illness. Having some of these conversations within our community, I, I personally think all of that ties into being woke. And before we want to call out, um, and I know Tova's going to respond to this, I think before we... You know, we call out other races. We really have to look within ourselves, look within the Black community, and then kind of move forward.
1: I wasn't gonna piggyback off of that, but now that she's... no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what I was gonna, what I was also going to say, like in the character of wokeness, is like we can't be just aware of the uh, grievances of just Black heteronormative mm. people, right? Like there's a whole other section of like within our the LGBTQ community that I think that we are so bogged down by all the other oppressive stuff that is going on that we forget that like we have a whole other community that is also disenfranchised within our own community as well. And not just that one, like black women and trans women and and, and all of those. So I think like when we talk about being woke, it only hits to a certain point for some people, right? Like we'll talk about like the plight of black people and how we don't have this and don't have that, but then we exclude our LGBTQ brothers and sisters as if they are not also dealing with the same struggles layered on, right? And so I think even within our own, like definitely looking within before lashing out because we need to figure out how we can come together as a community first without the white gaze. Uh, I think that that's probably my biggest issue working in these spaces is that there's so many people that don't look like us, but then they get to make decisions on what happens to our kids that I don't think that we are being, that well, like we don't have a seat at the yeah, table yeah, in most of those ahead, cases.
3: Well, I think you should really unpack that, uh, Steve, just that ideal of wokeness Um, Because I guess for me, when I originally thought of the concept, we know it revolved around the black consciousness of Mm -hmm. waking up, the reality of activists and that framework Mm -hmm. that dates back to the early Mm -hmm. 20th century. So I think you should unpack that some more.
0: Mm -hmm. How does identity play into that, I I wonder too though, you know, in terms of that, Awareness or lack thereof. How 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 do you all think identity? You know, mm-hmm. we all define ourselves differently within this this experience we're having. You know, um, how does yeah, that you know, uh, no. <laughs> uh, hamper one from uh, becoming wolf if you haven't really formed a, a cohesive? If you're not comfortable, it's the foundation. Yeah, yet, I'm sorry, Jeff. Are you ready to? Yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. It's are the you, foundation. Are you ready to I think the, the
2: the the other push is. Where, where, where? What institutions? Right? Does it start in the household? Is it the school? Where do you find this identity? Right? Where are you being taught who you are, or or being exposed? Yes, right. Exposed. Thank you, Tova. Yeah. Uh, exposed yeah. to different things yeah. to find out who you are. Right. And that, and you know, we we I think it requires parents making a commitment uh, in their homes, right, uh, to counter that narrative. You know, being an educator a lot is put on us, right? A lot is expected of us um, when yeah. the children come into the classroom. And I get it, right? We've, we've failed. Education has failed as a whole, right? Black people um, <laughs> uh, and generations after generations and generations. But the push, Jeff, is where where do we start having these conversations? You know, like there's a book, there's a gentleman, uh, Mike Cherry, ex-NFL football player that re- just released a book. Uh, uh, John, correct me if I'm I think it's called like, Good hair or black hair, or uh, black hair. Excuse me. Right. Um, we talk about identity, right? And and I'll just bring this up. Me being an ex athlete, who would have thought this gentleman had this additional gift, right? He could have his. He could have allowed his identity just to be uh, ex NFL football player, right? And we know the stereotypes that fall into that, right? Financial problems. Um, I won't even call this a stereotype, a real issue, right? Concussion, maybe some head injuries. And here's a, a, a guy who, you know, moved to LA, did whatever he had to do to learn, get the skills that he needed. And now, right, he's a published author um, doing things that he probably could have never thought, would, anyone would have never thought was possible. But to Tova's point, it was that exposure that allowed him to have that uh, intersectionality, right? Of the different identities that he would tap into as he went into these different spaces. So
0: and that's important because a lot of time I, I think we as yeah. black people don't allow ourselves that. Mm. You know, so often the the, the 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 margins with what blackness is is so it's so rigid. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. allow, you know, we can't like hummus. We can't, you know, there's just stuff that, that people don't feel like are in alignment with with what they feel like the black experience is and it's typically very narrow. Um, right.
1: I I mean, just piggybacking off of like that experience, like we also have to be, we have to acknowledge like the privilege that we, I come from, right? Like I went to a, you know, predominantly white institution for college. I went to college. My mother has her PhD. So like, you know, thinking about that type of exposure, like some of our kids don't have that, right? They don't have like, they would be the first generation to go to college if that is something that they decide to do. So like, and their parents might not be educated. And like, I know a lot of my, you know, outside thinking or exposure came from college. You know, I was very sheltered. I can't. I grew up in a very conservative Christian, conservative in the, we were Christians, but you know, my parents are still Democrats because we black, but uh, in, in the sense that like, we went to church, and we went to school, and there wasn't really anything other than that. And my friends were at church, <laughs> so I uh, I didn't really I, I didn't really know I really didn't know the fullness of my blackness really until I went to college and met other other people and how they showed up in their blackness um, as well. So uh, I guess acknowledging that part first is that like some of our kids don't have that. So I think that the burden on us. Sometimes when we are teaching kids that don't have the same privileges as us, is like it does seem burdensome because we we now have to be that exposure for them that we didn't that we didn't necessarily need because we got even
2: even Tova, how do we how do we counter that narrative, right? Because if we if we even go back to you know we mentioned the '60s uh, when the term woke right really became. what this, this buzzword that we're using as we address some of these political issues and really the plight of Black people. Um, we were educated, right? Black families were together. Black children were going to school. Your teachers were in your neighborhoods. You would see your teacher at the corner store. You would see your teacher. So, so Black people, you know, the narrative has changed, right? Us reaching a certain level of education isn't the norm, but this isn't something you know, how do we get back to what we used to be, right, before we were preaching, you know, let's, let's integrate, let's integrate. Some of the most success we've had, um, well, I'll say this, the most success we've had as a nation of Black people was when we were segregated, right, and we have segments.
1: I was just about to say that. I was just going to school, about
2: to go there. My, and, you know, and I'll I let John first. jump in. You know, my <laughs> sister and I were talking the other day. You know, as a high school student, I went to come I was raised by a single mom, right? Going to college, it wasn't a debate. I had to decide what college. I was going to be educated. And my mother only had high school diploma, a little bit of college, right? But she still preached, you knowledge was so, was power. And we've moved away from that, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we can't get back. So how we operate now is the anomaly. How we operate in silos now is not the norm, right? So that that I, I have 100% confidence we can get back to how things used to be, right? And when I say used to be black people owning black businesses, when you walk in your community, the people who run the businesses look like you, the black dollars staying in the black community, us talking about going to college and actually going to college and graduating, not being this first generation college student, right? Like some of the people that we recognize in Black History Month, like highly educated, PhDs from Harvard, et cetera. And let me, let me digress. I'm getting hype. You know, I'm the historian on the call. I love history. Let me, di- <laughs> let me digress. I'm
3: sorry. Steven. Well, well, Charlotte, I get, I mean, Tova, I'm sorry. My question would be to you, do you, do you think it's because black folk or some black folks are not aware? Because I guess my initial thought is like implicit in the concept of being woke is the ideal of such awareness, awareness, which awareness must be earned in my opinion. Um, so I guess my question to you um, is Is like, do you think there are folks who are just not aware?
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but like you also have to remember that like a lot of people are disenfranchised because of the systems that we are in, right? So like a lot of those unions and stuff that we had, especially in the South, right? As the South is still, we have still still not reconstructed ourselves from Jim Crow. As much as we would like to say that the South, like we don't have, you know, we don't have a colors only section anymore, but there's redlining. There is different policies and stuff that still keep black people generationally poor. So they don't have time. Like you have to have time, right? You have to have time to figure out your identity and who you are. And and, and I'm, I'm on the same train as you. Like if we could get on one page, that would be great. Like we're still debating if black lives actually matter. Like that only, like that's just a, it's a statement that we are still like, mm, maybe, I don't know. Like that, like that's where we are right now. Even within our black community. I'm not even talking about outside of us. Like black people have still questioned if black lives matter or ooh, it's too divisive or blah, 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 blah. So like we as a, like, because of the trauma, which we we, you know, we all generally generationally have. Uh, the South didn't get that right. The North has a. Uh, I think sometimes, like like Chicago, if we if we had a Chicago in the South, then I think we would have been more progressively forward. But because we were being torched, and not saying that it didn't happen in the like just the generational stigma of like crosses burning and people being lynched and, and again, not to say that that did not happen in the North because it definitely did, it just wasn't reported or as seen as often um, up North and it is South, down South. So I, I lost my train of thought because of the kid, but that, that's kind of where I was going is basically like to get back to, into unity, we have to like heal with the traumas that we have first and like try to find our commonality between both. Cause the North and the South are different. Like they, they come through differently.
0: John, absolutely. Think,
2: th- th- think about this. We, in this, uh, you, you look at reconstruction, right? You look at the time when, when we were more oppressed than we are now. We had black newspapers giving black news. Right, the Chicago Defender is one of the first black newspapers, if not the first black newspaper, giving African American news to black people. You have the Pullman, uh, uh, the Pullman, uh, Pullman District, and 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 the South Suburbs, excuse me, South Chicago. That was the first black union. So even in some of our most oppressed, um, uh, uh, socio uh, uh, distressed times, we were flourishing as a people, because to Tova's point, we had, we, we, we were one voice, right? And I'll, I'll digress. The LGBTQ community, why they are so successful? They have one voice. They have one voice. That's why there's so much policy being pushed. You don't see one representative. They have issues that they've agreed upon and they push them forward right? So it's possible.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, Steve, Steven, I I think, and I want to go back to you bringing up like that wokeness and then going back to also Jeff's point of like uh, our identity. And you made me think just from listening to you, Steven, that woke is not enough, in my opinion. Uh, In order for us to get back to that, this place where we work together, uh, we need to go back into one, exploring our on identity and that means one we must work towards this unity of questioning everything from our institutions our values from one another our systems our thoughts our language all of those different things in order for us to evaluate who we how we truly bring ourselves to this this place now this current environment that we're living in and i just think woke is not enough at this point we need to go back into that idea of what Stephen was saying like our identity
0: I mean, uh, Jeff. I, I want to mention something too, if I can circle back to your your uh, comment, Stephen, about um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm an educator, so I'm a strong advocate of of education for sure. But I I want to, I also am a strong advocate just for achievement in general, and for education, however it comes, whether it's formalized or not, um, because there are tons of success stories in the black community of whether they're entrepreneurs or you know, whatever routes they take. I mean, it, it takes all kinds. And while it definitely takes college educated, highly educated people uh, in order to make the wheels continue to go round and round, you know, it also takes folks who wanna start businesses, who wanna make our food, who wanna make our clothing, uh, who wanna pursue a career uh, doing coding or making apps or, you know, so I, I wanna make sure, and not saying that you, you are discounting that segment of our population. But I and want to massive sure as well, because in, in my experience as an educator, that that push to college, and it should be a push. However, within that push, there's definitely some value to knowing our students well and recognizing that maybe they need to be pushed in a different uh, uh, academic direction. Whether it's a two-year school, there's a technical school, whether it's an apprenticeship. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. Um,
2: I was watching uh, Between the World and Me, uh, which is a, uh, a production that HBO did. Yeah, based That's off a book by Ta-Nehisi. Yes, the wonderful Ta-Nehisi Colts. I recommend you read it. I recommend you read it before you watch. And uh, Angela Davis. Uh, there were a few different actors, actresses, Black activists throughout um, the Hour and 20 special. And she said something. She said, how are you sleep? when we're at war, and it resonated with me, right? Uh, yeah, right? Um, so to your, to your question, John, um, it only lies in us opening our own schools, um, opening our own institutions of higher learning, uh, taking ownership uh, of what our kids are taught, how they're taught. Uh, there's the there's Betty Shabazz school system um, in inner city Chicago, um, that I had an opportunity to visit, recruit kids from, uh, and 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 the way the kids are fed. Let me talk about that first and foremost, right? They're 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 taught nutrition, um, health, how things impact, how how they how your body's going to react to what you're putting in your body. They have mantras and chants. So when we talk about identity. Um, they're instilling or allowing kids avenues to expose themselves to help in transit uh, to help inform their identity. When I got those kids in high school as a secondary educator, when I talk about mentorship leadership, the students came coming from the Betty Shabazz schools were able to not just step in and lead by behavior, but they were able to lead with their voice and set a tone um, that that our kids had to acquiesce to. So. Yeah. My question to you is we have to own our own institutions. Um, if it was possible again for you know our forefathers with less economic opportunities than we have now to pull it off hey, hey, some hey, of the I, schools and, 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 and some of the schools still standing right? I know in inner city Chicago and I will let somebody else tap in, Jeff can attest to this we've closed. Rahm Emanuel is responsible for closing over a hundred schools. What are they doing with those buildings? Right, there's opportunity there. So we we have to shift to more of a and shout out Dr. Claude Anderson. Uh, we have to shift to more of a black ownership mindset if we ever want to change the narrative. On those lines, uh,
0: you have, you have Gates. That's who's uh, taking care of some of those empty schools in Chicago. I'm sorry to cut you off over. <laughs> Stephen and I talked about a a social practice artist, uh, Theaster Gates uh, in Chicago. He has a foundation called Rebuild Foundation. Actually, one of those closed schools. Uh, I don't know what Theaster did with that school, but his his practice is about uh, creative placemaking. So he's taken, for instance, like an old bank and turned it into an art space. It has the uh, old um, collection from Johnson Publishing is housed in the Stony Island Arts Bank. Um, but there's a school in the same neighborhood that he's taken over. I, there were a few ideas being thrown about when I was working with the Astor, But um, he's definitely trying to be about that work and, and definitely has that at the forefront of his mind. Because you're right, Rom did close a bunch of schools. Uh, and there's a lot of, of, um, of opportunity there, for sure. And, ma- and, and make no mistake,
2: these are historic Absolutely. buildings, right? These are historic buildings that need to be landmarks right and you all hear me kind of talk about this in our like they need to be landmarks when you think of the the neighborhood school right families went there you had i taught your younger brother your older brother i taught your we don't have communities anymore right we we and i'm sure you guys have heard this we have neighborhoods you have a whole mm-hmm. bunch of people just living don't talk don't communicate right when i was growing up jeff you some of some of the older guys here on the, on the podcast, your neighbor could whoop your oh, butt back true. in the day and then tell your before mama they whoop your home. butt and your mama yeah, go whoop your
3: mama.
0: Your mama know about it before you get right. back home too. Oh, Jeff,
3: oh, if it's okay right. with you, I wanted to kind of pose a question to our group because I think what you saying really kind of triggers something, mm-hmm. um, at least in my head. Is that okay with you? Yeah. So, hey, hey team, I'm wondering like, or just my initial thought behind this wow. is like, how can we shift our current educational system to address these issues? or what resources or tools that we think we need or or if it's missing uh, to address these issues
1: well that was like that was like the beauty of them forcing black people <laughs> into one neighborhood right because you didn't have the option to like come out to the burbs if you had enough money like you couldn't go anyway so you were yeah they forced us to be in a community but they forget that like our, innate, our DNA is set in being in villages and being in communities. So that was fine with us. What happened was we, we bought into the idea, the American dream that we had to be, and not, you know, we as a, like we just tried to assimilate to survive, right? And so we need to get, now that we have, we have gotten past the, we can go to the same schools as you, we can make as much money as you in some degrees, now we need to get to the space that, now we need to find our community again. And I absolutely, I'm 100% in agreement with you, Stephen. Like we need to build our own schools. Like KIPP was based off of a uh, a black woman and then two white men took it over and then made it into a franchise. Same thing with IDEA, same thing with Can Academy. like all of these different charter schools that are up. And even, uh, you know, the first teachers were more black slaves. <laughs> And that we're teaching the children how to be functional and then the white people took over. So it's like, we need to be in a space where we now know that we are the the source of authority and we don't have to lend that to other people now to teach our own children. Like We have that source within ourselves and we can do it ourselves. And
2: I have a challenge. Go to all of the school websites in our network. I, I bet you there's a face of color on every school website and not necessarily the face of the person who's the principal or who owns it. I guarantee you there will be a picture of an educator of color. And we don't own any of these schools.
1: Especially if you have especially if you have districts whether it's it's public, private, whatever, if they're if they have a predominantly black student population, you never see the admin. <laughs> you never see who's actually running the actual school because we're the face. We're the face, right? We are the ones that make it seem safe to take your children here, right? We, we are the gateway for bringing other black and brown people into these spaces. And we need to make sure that if that's the case, then we need to have ownership of what's happening to our kids as well, right? Um, I, I absolutely agree. I, I mean, I do look, it's depressing.
3: I was just gonna say I, I wanted to let Tova know something that the ideal of Kip, I think the concept of how to educate kids came from a black woman, but not the actual name of KIPP, but the ideal right, of how
1: Right, to I get kids. yeah, yeah. I, I agree. you That's got right. the people the listening, I want of to make clarify that. Right. right. So before we get to so the <laughs> idea and the concept of it for sure. Yes. Yeah.
2: So how do we how do we segue? How do we segue into being woke in the schools that you're in, right? I hope everyone knows you have access to your board meetings, Absolutely. the board meetings that they have, that your schools have about you and what you're going to teach and policies Absolutely. that are being trick- trickled down. How can we stay woke if we're not on those phone calls, right? They record them, right? Especially it being virtual now, all, we do, all you do is send an email and you can listen to three hours of what they're talking about that they're going to do at your school (laughs) right so you can't be woke if we're not looking at the resources that are available to us and we're not tapping into them right i don't know if anyone knew that challenge your school leaders your administration right hey when's the next board meeting when's the next meeting of the board you have access to those meetings we need to be sitting in meetings
0: this has been good y'all this has been a great first conversation i i am I'm not, not surprised is not the word. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm glad that we, we got kind of deep today. This is, this is excellent. So I want to uh, move us along so that we can uh, be conscious of everyone's time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about our, uh, our next segment that we will uh, be uh, premiering uh, on our next installment of the show. Um, that segment is called On the Ground." Uh, so the underground segment, we're going to use our lens as black educators to highlight books, films, places, and happenings that serve to educate. Uh, we'll often include guests for this segment and field questions from our, uh, from our, other, from our co-hosts rather, sorry. I uh, want to mention too, let me back up a little bit. I'm sorry, we, we were talking about Shabazz School and we're going to be, uh, most of our shows, we're going to have guests on. And I'm going to get to the guests for our, our next show here in just a moment. Um, But we should try to have uh, Baba Haki on the show. Um, We're talking about highlighting educators and some of our achievement and making sure that we lift up those voices. I think having one of the founding voices for the Shabbat School would be excellent. And that is not a difficult thing to do. So we can talk about that offline and how we can make that happen hopefully next year sometime, early next year. Yes, that would be excellent. As a matter of fact, full disclosure, our, this is a good segue, our guest for our next show uh, was a very close mentor of Baba Haki and worked for Third World Press for many, many years. Uh, He's also one of my uh, former clients. My career before education, I worked in the arts, literary arts predominantly. Uh, so I got a chance to work with Haki and with Third World Press and with his brother that we're gonna be inviting to the show for our next installment. So. As part of our On the Ground series, we are going to welcome Quraysh Ali Lansana to the show. He's gonna come on and uh, we're going to, uh, first as a, as a group, we're gonna discuss our impressions of the recent uh, television shows that, is in, that have interwoven the story of the Tulsa massacre into their fictional storylines. Uh, we're then gonna speak with Quraysh and we're gonna talk to him about what's happening currently on the ground in Tulsa as they prepare to commemorate the centennial of the massacre. Uh, I'm super he's excited about that. an educator in Tulsa, he is an Oklahoma. Uh, he's originally from uh, Enid, Oklahoma. Uh, he teaches at uh, OSU currently, and uh, he's also the author of a children's book that talks about the massacre from a child's eyes. Uh, they're also doing some exciting things with curriculum around uh, the Tulsa massacre, namely, um, structuring the curriculum to uh, look at the massacre from a different lens, from the lens of this thriving black community prior to the massacre. So I think that's important and kind of dovetails with some of uh, some of our conversation tonight, some of that, that black excellence, that achievement uh, that was happening in this all black community that were just fine and doing well and doing better than many white communities actually, which uh, I'm sure is what led to Uh, to that destruction. But we'll talk about that at our next, in our next show. Uh, That is all we got for the day, folks. Y'all got anything else y'all wanna add as we close out?
2: Really excited about the uh, on the ground segment, Uh, folks. Really hope you guys have an opportunity to tune in. Uh, The book that Jeff is referencing, we were able to get a preview uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and you'll see a lot of what we talked about um, on the call today uh, come to life uh, in this book, right? You'll see Black-owned businesses, Black people with em- uh, employment, Black families, um, you know, uh, Black nutrition uh, served at dinner. So uh, I hope it's exciting for all of you. I'm excited for it. Uh, and thanks for listening to our first podcast of many, many more to come.
3: Yeah, I think The only thing that I want to do is shout out all of our Black educators that are currently disrupting. Uh, We appreciate y'all.
0: Definitely. Thank you for saying that, John. Absolutely. All right. uh, Once again, you have been listening to Educators Are Superhuman, a podcast for educators by educators. Um, Please join us next time. Tell your friends. Please tune in. We hope to see you. Be safe. Peace.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have a question that you would like to present to the team or a comment about the show, please email us at febe.educators at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at febe underscore educators. See you in the next episode. Bye.
3: It is 1984.